All right, and here we go. It's time for Tech 37. My name is Rob Boyd. So glad you could take a moment and join us. We've got another exciting show for you today, all about business modernization, and it's brought to us by a combination of Google and Intel. Super, super excited to have all this today. I don't hear my music playing today. I'm going to have to research that a little bit later. Either way, uh, hopefully you're just feeling the musical rhythm coming your way. We're going to be talking about multi-cloud, specifically where does multi-cloud play into your strategy? And we've got experts with an incredible background and diverse set of experiences with customers who have been down this road, customers who are dipping the toe in the water, customers who are changing strategies and wish they'd known the kind of things that we're going to be discussing here. So with that, let's go ahead and get the show started. Again, my name is Rob Boyd. Welcome to Tech 37, brought to you today by Google and Intel. And of course, Tech 37 is technology education and collaboration from Worldwide Technology. Let's get going. So I used this joke earlier, but I'm like, yeah, it's brought to us by Google and Intel because Google and Intel physically are on the show. But I'm going to start because I always try to keep things in a certain order. David Perky from Worldwide Technology. Let's do some introductions. Can you tell us who you are and what you do for Worldwide? Absolutely. No problem. Thank you, Rob. Uh, I am the GCP practice manager and chief architect uh, for our multi-cloud practice here at Worldwide. All right. Okay. So you obviously interface uh, with maybe not the exact people here on the call, but you're certainly interfacing with these organizations on a regular uh, basis. And Ronica, well, two, the next two people, I haven't met you guys before, uh, but so having so much fun having get, getting a chance to learn from you. But Ronica Lewis, you're with Google, but what do you do for Google? What, what, why does Google employ Ronica? Uh, man, I don't know if we have enough time. Uh, yeah, to maybe we shouldn't that. ask that one. <laughs> <laughs> no worries, Rob. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a product manager, simply put, in our application modernization platform team within Google Cloud, right? So I help companies figure out how to, um, you know, get into the cloud and how to really accelerate innovation using our technology, which is founded in Kubernetes. So okay, all right. Well, I'm expecting a lot out of you because actually, in our in our in all of our previous conversations. You have a lot more knowledge than your course, than your your introduction feels with like you're withholding from me. There's a lot of power uh, there that I'm, I think will start leaking out a bit more. You're being polite. You're starting off low. Uh, let expectations rise. No problem. I get that. And Mr. Todd Christ, you work for Intel. Um, relatively new for Intel, only the last quarter century or so, I think. Um, either way, can you tell us what you do for Intel and how long have you been doing it? Yes, absolutely. So yeah, my name is Todd Christ. I work in our data platforms group, uh, specifically on our cloud and enterprise solutions group. And yes, I have been at Intel for 25 years. Um, I do have this young little baby face, but uh, don't let it fool you. I've been around since the old beige <laughs> boxes in the data center. And uh, I work primarily on uh, hybrid multi-cloud technologies and how Intel helps our partners uh, whether it's partners like WWT, they're actually out in the field putting hands-on or working on the back end with Google Cloud, putting uh, you know servers into Google Cloud and moving things around with Google Anthos. So anything and everything that we can build and optimize for the world. Well, while we while still got the microphone there uh, strapped to your head, either way, uh, I want to ask you a question because this is, and it kind of stems from this misperception uh, that I um, uh could be accused of, but very accurately, which is forgetting or not even knowing, let's say for some maybe members of our audience, what is it that Intel's responsible for? And, and what, are the, what are the misperceptions around that specifically? I think we all know Intel is a name, but I don't think everybody fully understands just how much you guys get into. 
Yeah, no, that's that's a great point. And, uh, you know, you think about Intel, uh, you think about Intel Inside, right? The big marketing campaign we had back in the 90s. You know, you had a little swoosh circle thing and whatnot. Everybody knows that Intel makes processors, but we make so much more than that. We make memory now, we make storage, we make network cards. Uh, so pretty much all those different interfaces and I.O. points that happen in a platform, we create all those. Uh, in fact, just yesterday, we announced our new IPU an infrastructure processing unit. So it's a whole new way of looking at how computing works. We have discrete graphics cards that are coming out. Uh, we have AI accelerators. So it's more than just CPUs. Uh, we pretty much make the entire platform and look at those major pillars of how do we do the work and how do we help our partners get work done faster. Well, I remember on previous, uh, in, in previous shows, I've gone down the rabbit hole of trying to fully understand some of the memory advances, for instance, that you guys get into uh, uh, from the, the oh, what is it, the, uh, no, I'm to try to bring it out on the fly here. I'm just realizing that I just stepped in too deep again. But either way, <laughs> the point is, is that you guys aren't just making that stuff that already exists in the business. You're really pushing the industry forward with your hardware. Um, so that we can do stuff be better and faster, uh, even if it is inside when places that we typically don't see. Um, but with that, here, I'm going to go back to Ronica for a second, because I want to set the stage. Um, and then, uh, David, I'm assuming you're going to jump in wherever necessary here. But I'd like to, to for each of you, kind of get this idea about uh, defining multi-cloud. And, Ronica, I know your definition of multi-cloud might be a little bit different. I want all y'all to have different definitions either way. So we'll chime in behind you. But Ronica, especially because you represent from the Google perspective, what is how do you define multi-cloud? What's important to understand and, and what kind of what experience could Google possibly have when it comes to cloud? <laughs> well, you know, we, we have a little bit of experience, right? You know, having yeah. created open source uh, Kubernetes, uh, you know, when we created Kubernetes, it was really simple, just an internet internal management team uh, platform yeah. for our internal team um, for our software developers. Um, and so we decided that that technology was so good we wanted to share it out with the world uh, so we you know sent it to the cncf and decided to not live on our own tech island but when we started thinking about how workloads actually are going to run and and will continue to run into the future we thought about it's not just going to be in one cloud in one place or maybe not even in the cloud in itself so we created anthos uh, this this managed kubernetes platform uh, so regardless of where you're running your workloads, you know, whether it's on some bare metal hypervisor or, you know, across multiple cloud providers, you really have this one single pane of glass that you use for, you know, manageability, for reliability, for portability, uh, even for compliance and governance, it's already built in. Uh, so you're, you're not having to do that every single place where you run workloads, you have that mm -hmm. in one place. So. Well, and that's interesting, too, because I think uh, Anthos may or may not be on the, the tip of the tongue for everybody uh, that's dealing with cloud. But, you know, what is what is the relationship between what, uh, let's say, Anthos and then a, a component of Anthos without getting technical? It's not the focus. Today's really a more sure. business oriented technical show. But either way, there's always a balancing in there. But just the relationship of GKE to uh, Google Kubernetes engine, I believe, is how that breaks out because I forget when yeah. acronyms come forward. But what's is that a component of Anthos where it's it, it's a deliverable that Anthos makes more simple? Yeah, sure. It's really just the backbone. I mean, if, okay. if I were to simplify it down, just so someone understands, you know, Anthos to, to, to GKE, uh, Anthos is really just an API back into the Google Cloud platform, right? So that you can still take advantage of 
all of the things that the platform offers, right? So you could still run, you know, your your uh, first party uh, services that Google creates, Cloud SQL, Spanner, you know, all of these different things. You could still have uh, that. Um, running wherever you're running your workloads. So okay, that's really so it's a, it so so Anthos really is like you mentioned. That's that guy has to come up in every show. But single pane of glass, I can't seem to come up with another way to say that that isn't already beat to death. But um, well, and then so I remember. So over to you, David. I'm curious because I ran uh, I'm, worldwide technology. Of course, works with all the major cloud vendors, um, and uh, but you work a ton with Google, and in fact. I believe worldwide has uh, some some individuals that have really proven themselves uh, in terms of their ability to work with Google's products. You guys are running Anthos. I remember I did it. I did a three part series with you guys on Anthos a while back, and and really got my my propeller spinning, uh, wrapping my head around just all the different things that come together underneath that. But what is worldwide? Uh, how does worldwide look at multi cloud and uh, and the part where Anthos comes to play in that as necessary? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the way we look at uh, multi-cloud is, uh, first of all, to take a step back from that, is that multi-cloud is not just a mixture of public clouds. Okay. You really, you really got to think of it as your public, or excuse me, your, your, your private infrastructure is really a cloud in itself. And okay. for six, uh, what, I, what we've seen is that successful organizations who have gone into the cloud first uh, have looked at their internal infrastructure and treat that like the cloud as well, because multi-cloud is really an extension of your your private cloud out into other into other providers. I, I think that's key for okay. success moving the cloud. Right? You mentioned that we have a couple outstanding people in, in Google. We do. We have uh, over seventy uh, certified individuals, but I it was really that many. proud of that we have two uh, Google fel fellows. Uh, and we were one of the, the, the early on. I think when they became fellows, there was less than a dozen of them out there. Uh, so uh, Spencer Cuff and, and, uh, and Michael. Oh, that must be new. I did not know people. Spencer was a fellow. I knew Michael was because I think he was one of the yeah. first. He was on that original yeah. press release that went out uh, during yeah. the launch of Anthos or something, I think. But um, yeah. smart they're, guys, they're both, both actually me. helping writing the book uh, in, in some <laughs> cases. So we're, uh, we're very proud of their, uh, their uh, relationship with Google. And how we work in that, and um, yeah, uh, the, the the important point I think is is really when you think about multi cloud, is don't forget your private cloud. Yeah, well, actually, so let's go into that for a minute because I think part of what I hear you saying, but I don't want to I don't want to put words in your mouth. So correct me if I'm wrong, but you're really talking about how do we look at the entire business as one maybe multi located network, uh, for lack of a better way to put it. That's, but the idea is you thinking of it as one, so you can treat it as one, no matter where things are located. Is that right, fair? Right. Yeah. Exactly. It's uh, it's it's an extension. Yeah. Uh, it's not different different IT departments. It's a, you have a central IT department. You manage your internal uh, uh, IT the way you have to, obviously. But uh, you can't think of Google or any of the other ones as a separate entity because it's all part of that big whole. Right. Well, let me ask you one more question. Problem. Before the others jump in on this one, because I wanted to kick this off. This was your uh, inflammatory statement that you had, had made. Not one of the ones you told me not to mention, but one of the ones that I think is okay to say. But basically, the one that I would kind of term Hotel California effect. Uh, but this idea that vendor lock-in is a real thing. Let's go ahead and acknowledge um, what that means in this context. But 
is, is that indeed your statement, vendor lock-in is real, and what is important to understand about that? Absolutely. Vendor lock-in is alive and well. You know, it's uh, for people who've been in the IT business for a while now, that's not a new concept, right? There's been companies out there who've made it their business plan to once you're in, you never leave, right? Again, Hotel California uh, uh, reference there. Uh, but be it as it, as it is, it's not necessarily a bad thing. And since yeah. we have Google on the, on the call, and I'll let, I'll let Ronica talk about this, uh, there, it, it's, it, it's in different companies do it in different degrees. Right. And Google is probably one of the least uh, uh, owners as far as that's concerned. But the important thing is to remember here is that, yes, yes, it does exist. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but it has to be planned for. Right. Yeah. If you're if you're moving into a cloud, you have to be cognizant of the fact that there may be roadblocks for you to come back yet, yeah, come back out of it again. Right. Which, you know, I think we're talking about data gravity later. And I won't touch on that quite yet right now. Is that, you know, I'm going to come back to you on that. Yeah. Yeah, we can we can talk about that, but you know the uh, it uh, bottom line it exists. It's not necessarily a bad thing as long as you're aware of it. Okay, uh, Ronica, you uh, so he just called you out as being the least onerous on uh, on being able to uh, uh, for for how you handle your customers. But I think this is I have always thought whether this is really the right way to think about it or not. It's probably how far away my microphone is. You guys need to hear the the timber. Um, but it was a, but the notion obviously Google had, to me what I've loved is it's always to me even though you guys do a good job of simplifying things as you're mentioning, but I do think about the details. It's just an engineer's company to me. Now, yeah. I don't think that's probably fair to the way in which all your services are presented, but I do love the fact that the details are there and, uh, and, and you guys often start out solving your own problems like you did with Kubernetes and then open sourcing uh, things into the community. I don't think Kubernetes is, is by, mean, by any means the only example, but what, what is important to understand about the, this effect of lock-in? How much does Google think about that when it comes to things like Anthos? And, um, and how, does, how, does, how do you guys begin dealing with that? Yeah, we think about it a lot, right? So there are four things that you really want to think about when you think about um, your multi-cloud architecture. And it is the first thing that you mentioned, simplicity, right? Uh, folks don't want to know what's going on under the hood. They don't really care about that. What they really care about are their applications that are running on top of that infrastructure and okay. being able to you know, power and run those better. They want to have you know, a faster time to commits. They want to be able to do more deployments. They want to worry less about, you know, downtime. And if there is an event, right, because, you know, things happen, uh, that they're back up uh, much faster than they would anywhere else. That's really what's important. So that's kind of uh, the simplicity aspect of it. Uh, I'll jump right to the elephant in the room that David pointed out about, you know, uh, since I briefly mentioned acceleration with deployments, is portability. Uh, in fact, when we created Anthos, it was around this concept that you're not really locked in. I mean, you're you're running across to Davis Point, uh, multiple public and private clouds in your own infrastructure. So if you need it to decouple, right, to throw that 1990s term in, if you need it to decouple uh, for, for, for whatever reason, um, you, you can still go back and use whatever uh, uh, control plane or, or, or manage tower, control tower that you're using, whether it's AWS or some other cloud like Azure, uh, and not have to redo everything over because of the backbones infrastructure that's based on Kubernetes. Um, in fact, many of our customers that come to us um, and use Anthos, they come to us for that reason because mm -hmm. it solves that um, regulatory checkbox that they have to make right with their regulators around if something were to happen 
can you move everything away and, ha and, and does that not disrupt your business? So we, we tout that actually as one of the features of Anthos is that you're technically not locked in. You're locked in somewhere else probably, but with yeah. Anthos, it's easy for you to decouple and not distract out what you're doing, so. Well, and pause there for a second. Is it, might, yeah, yep, go I ahead, Perky. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I think uh, lock-in may be an, an extreme or a harsh term for this. Okay. Right? It's not really locked in. It, there's barriers for exit. That's kind of what I was thinking. Okay, good. You're you know? scary how we're tracking. Uh, All right. Yeah, because it's, you're, you're not you're not locked in. I mean, they'll let you leave, but uh, without a strategy for that, it could be very expensive to leave. Right. Because well, it's, yeah. It could be more than just moving a workload. You know, if you've got all these associated services with it, uh, it's not just that workload, but it's all the, the all the additional things that are tied to it as well. Yeah, I think what you're talking yeah, about is what does it cost you to leave? In other, and so and, and did you consider what those costs may be as part of your business strategy before you started making all that investment into that location. Uh, because I think one of the things that we want to get out of cloud is we want that diversity. We want the ability uh, for our data and our compute to be happening in the places where it's most efficient and it's most available, uh, you know, and all those things that we would brag about in a generic sense from a cloud perspective. Um, did I cut you off though with the, the final point you were making? Nope. Okay. Veronica, there was, I wanted you to lead into, and maybe you were, well, you said there were four things I caught. Yes. Simple was portability. Portability was the second one, or was that just another explanation? Yeah, port portability was okay, kind of Okay, what's like three and four then? Kind of talk about acceleration, right? So you can adopt uh, the public cloud faster um, in a sustainable, secure way, right? So okay. we, I talked briefly about the uh, the, the acceleration of being able to uh, do more commits. Uh, so as you know, the state of DevOps came out with a report and obviously in full disclosure, we eventually acquired that company because their research was just so great. Um, but when they identified these kind of four areas that you want to focus on, it was about those things that I mentioned. So simplicity, acceleration, right? Uh, portability and then innovation. Um, you, you, you've mentioned innovation, right? So I'm going to talk about it right from, from, from the Google house. Uh, take advantage of some of these cloud native and cloud born uh, so, uh, services that we offer. All right. I mean, look at look at uh, 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 BigQuery, look at Looker, look at all of these different things that we're doing in that space. And, and even as David uh, talked about cost, right? Uh, cost optimization is, is one of the top you know things that our customers come to us for. Um, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but I know that there's a concept yeah, with a lot of companies talking about, you know, their their path to the cloud and, and, and migrating and lift and shift has often been a very common term. Mm -hmm. um, but for, for us, you know, we think about this in a way of how do we help you scale up and scale down resources when you don't need them to save you money? Um, and, and so that's a big thing that's kind of natively also built in. So we like to tout that obviously as one of the benefits, right? Take advantages of the, the AI and the machine learning uh, that we're known for, um, that you talk about in our in our engineering. So, yeah, I depend yeah, a lot on your background services. Good. Yeah, you mentioned services. lift and shift. Oh, yeah, well, mentioned lift and shift. Uh, mm -hmm. I've also also heard that uh, phrase without the F in shift. Uh, <laughs> right. Uh, uh, I'll let oh. you do the spelling. I, don't think I, I was, was trying to take it out of the lift, and I was lit. Anyway. No, well, no, it's. it's I got you. No, I'm with you now. I don't. Don't need to say yeah, it. Don't okay. need to say right. it. We don't have right. any kind yeah, of delay. And, we can leverage to to, to bleep it. <laughs> No problem, but I mean, it, it comes into the idea that uh, uh, initially they think that's that they're, you're one and done when you you know just lift and shift it over to the uh, the cloud, and that will automatically save you money. 
And that's a uh-huh. misnomer because it could actually cost you more money yeah. if you just move it as is. Uh, because one thing that people don't mm-hmm. get the concept of is the fungibility of servers, right? And fungibility is a word that should come back into the, the English language much more. That means that servers only have to exist for the time they're needed. Yeah. Right? Traditional IT is you stand up a bare metal server and it's running for 25 years. Nobody touches it because they're afraid because they don't know what it does. Oh, like firewall right? rule sets. Yeah. Uh, no, that's that's probably one of the more reasonable ones. But I'm talking yeah. like a database server, you know, a Lotus Notes server sitting in the back that nobody wants to even turn off because if it if they do, you know, half the ser- half the company's going to go blank, you know, yeah. go dark. Or there's just a chance because so, no one really knows. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And the idea, I, I think the the growing uh, acceptance of the, the term of, you know, microservices or just the services that, you know, something does something and then goes away. That's a new concept that's really needs to get more traction. It's starting to, but it's not quite clicking in a lot of people's brains. So fungibility, we need to work that more into our lexicon of, of uh uh, in, in terms of the value that that provides, which is that kind of this just in digital, just in time, only when you need it uh, type of resource. Todd, you're laughing there. Uh, now you're welcome to continue laughing. I won't call you out every time you do it. But oh, yeah. anything you want to add to that? <laughs> no, it, it all resonates very, very well. I mean, everything that Ronica said and David has said is is very true, right? developers don't think about the hardware. They don't think about what happens just because most of the time it just works. Uh, yeah. They don't really have Until to think about it Until it stops working and then they much. let you know. Um, yeah. Whenever, well, exactly, right? And then it's, where, where's the guy, right? Um, but, you know, the fun thing is that I got to work on Anthos before it was launched. And, uh, you know, so we lots of think tank stuff going on. And part of our early discussions was, you know, Google Cloud was saying, hey, we write great software. Hands down, totally agree. And he said, you guys make great hardware. I said, okay, we're, we're friends now. I like this. We understand everybody's uh, you know, strengths and benefits here. And, and what we've done is help develop a story that gives capability from GCP to create a new region. And you can put it in your data center. You can put it in another cloud. It gives you that flexibility to control your own destiny, essentially, with your workloads. Uh, Things like GDPR, right? You can't move your data into a certain region, so create your own region and you can control it all, right? I mean, who would have thought of this 10 years ago, right? So it's been really amazing to see how it's grown and to see, and and we try to help give that same performance parity on-premise or in another cloud as if you would get in GCP. You know, one of the big, beautiful parts of Google Anthos is that the GKE marketplace can work in GKE in the cloud. It can also work on Anthos in your private data center as well. So you have that that feature and application parity no matter where you run Anthos. So I think that's what's really innovative. And it really makes Google stand out amongst the cloud providers because no other cloud providers do that um, at least at the cost level and at the complexity and being able to build your own and kind of roll with it, it I think yeah. it's a really great opportunity. And, and again, we really try to partner up with the software that they write. We have the hardware, obviously, that people don't really think about, but we think about it on a daily basis to say, you can run faster, you can run better, get a better TCO. So that way, at the end of the month, after you write all your great code, your bill doesn't have to be sky high. So everybody's happy. Everybody gets to continue working, and you get to continue innovating on stuff. I do. I do find it fascinating. Sorry about. Yeah, no, that's quite all right. I love it. I find it fascinating that Intel does get involved. Not that it wouldn't 
it's just I don't think about it. You're right. In terms of getting involved to say, Anthos, how can we work together to accelerate things? Because you could write, um, you know, because I'm sure there's con- consistent tweaks to the code to how they do things and where certain things are happening. And, and, and you guys are, are providing advice from your realm of expertise, um, you know, as you potentially tweak what you're doing to assist with that, since you're, of course, well beyond the processor at this point. But and Ronica, he brings up, uh, you know, the mention of multiple clouds. And obviously, when we talk about multiple clouds, um, you had made a point. I'll just lead you. I'll just hold your hand right into this one. But I want you to pick it up. So uh, this notion of, um, uh, you know, how many clouds do I need? Should I have a workload? And should I replicate workloads in different clouds um, to make sure that I'm getting, you know, the very best service? What's the right strategy? What are some of the basic expectations that are important to set with customers? Yeah, you know, I, I like what we're taught was going with this, right? So for instance, we, we there's a few core things that we should talk about. So uh, we have hardware partners, right? Where we have like, here are our preferred uh, hardware uh, stacks that you should have. Here are the preferred hardware configurations because, you know, let's be honest, um, Kubernetes is hard for a lot of people. It's hard to, to manage and sure there are people out there who are taking this on and managing it themselves. But once you start getting into hundreds and thousands of clusters, right? Yeah. It becomes very complicated to manage. So you really, if we took a step back to, to answer your question, let, let's talk about your team. I mean, we, we mentioned that, you know, the IT guys don't really care about, or the developers don't really care about, you know, the, the, the hardware and the infrastructure. They just want to write their code. So let's, let's talk about that. How is your team designed? What are the team dynamics? All of these things are going to impact, you know, how and where you should run those workloads. Should these workloads be run in a cloud somewhere? Um, should they be run on a, a bare metal hypervisor somewhere, some other hardware stack, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what, what other considerations should you, you think about when determining your compute? All of those things are relevant. I mean, I've talked to numerous customers and we could have two customers or 10 customers in the same sector, right? Uh, but they have totally different team dynamics. They have totally different workload factors um, and, and other variables that will determine where their workload should be running. So how is your team set up? Do you have a platform um, uh, engineering team, right? With a DevOps and SRE model. Do you have, you know, those things matter because if you have 12,000, you know, folks in in your shop, right? Who are SREs and DevOps engineers who are maybe 80% junior and maybe 20% senior, uh, I might, you know, tell you that you should think about securing and designing and architecting it totally different than I would someone who's like, hey, we just got 12 guys here, right? Yeah. So all of those things are very important. So there isn't a one size fits all model. You have to con- con- consider what your organization um, is kind of built like, what, what type of workloads you run, um, and, and really just what your goals are and, and some of these other things before we start saying, okay, here's the one size fits all, which is which is really the beauty of, of Anthos, right? Um, so you can you can run whatever you need to run, how you need to run it, uh, and, and manage that more seamlessly through this kind of uh, uh, a centralized uh, uh, pl- uh, platform that we have. So, so I want David. This she's hitting on on something that I've kind of would attribute because I've heard it multiple times and I heard it again from you. Is it feels like it's a worldwide philosophy. Not that it wouldn't be something Todd Ronica would agree with, but this notion of people, process, things, um, as as Ronica is saying, 
everything she just kind of brought up there had nothing to do really with the technology. It sounds like it really had to do with understanding your people before you're making decisions about process and technology. Is that something worldwide helps with? Because some of those don't sound like simple answers. Uh, that is a great lead, and thank you very much. You're absolutely correct. <laughs> That's my job. You know, I, like, yeah. I like to say that enterprises love to you know, love the idea of transformation as long as they don't have to do anything different. As long as I don't have to do anything different. Uh, yeah. Now, yeah, yeah. That, and, put, and me, that's, put myself that's really in that one too. That's, that, that's not a slight. You know, that's just a misunderstanding. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because human. transformation really is just like DevOps, this three-legged stool that the entire foundation of an organization is built on three things. Your people, your process, and your technology or tools, right? Yeah. And if you lengthen or shorten any one of those with uh, by itself without in concert with the other three, your whole foundation, exactly. Your, your, yeah. your whole, the whole enterprise could fall over, right? So it is very important to, you know, we, we talk about technology and tools. I mean, Google and Intel are both technology and they make tools, right? So you're calling but them tools, you, our guests on this show? Or, well, okay. you know, uh, maybe Todd. I don't, no, okay, not gotcha. Okay. Let's narrow it down. Uh, no, but that's, uh, 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 you know, there's another analogy about, you know, transformation that enterprises, you know, changing the direction of an enterprise is like steering a battleship. Right. Yeah. I prefer the analogy that it's more of like a train, right? You can't turn a train unless you lay down tracks. The tracks have to be set before the train gets there. And that's part of the strategy. If you don't have a multi-cloud strategy or a strategy period and where you're going, right, you're not going to be able to pivot very quickly. I love that. Yeah. And if you, if you do, it's going to be kind of close to a, a disaster. And thank you for this opportunity for a shameless plug because that's exactly what Worldwide does. We take that holistic view and allow and uh, you know and and let our customers see it from different directions. Yeah. Well, and and obviously we'll come back to that at the end because actually I always have a spot in the show for shameless plugs, and that's a little bit early still because we're not out of time yet. But it's funny too because I'm thinking how shallow you. am I because I've I used that train metaphor, but I couldn't remember who to attribute it to. It must have gotten it from you. Because uh, I love that um, in terms of just trying to steer a train. Like, you can't steer it. Oh, that's his point. Okay. All right. I get that. I get that. I love a good metaphor because I could picture hey, Rob, it. I, yeah. I love, to, I love to segue off of something. Uh, Please do. Using the train, the train metaphor, right? Okay. So uh, another key component into this whole idea of Anthos as this managed control plane or the centralized um, the platform, if you will, is the idea around observability, uh, which is huge for everyone. So when we, when we talk um, multi-cloud, uh, that's really what people are looking at the Anthos platform for, is being able to have this managed control plane in our service mesh that says, hey, here is my service management. You know, I know uh, my security posture is safe. I have all of my policies and my configuration management here. So whenever someone spins up a cluster, automatically all of these things get propagated out and, and they have to comply with these things. So and, and then you have all of the alerting and monitoring and logging and performance and all of those things, which is really key. I mean, again, when you just say we're going to spin up some clusters, because a lot of people say, hey, why would I want to pay for this? You know, uh, I can go use open source, uh, you know, Kubernetes or Istio. Um, great. But once you start, you know, again, as we're talking about, you know, what should you be running in the cloud once you start growing? Right. I mean, if you just got one cluster, I probably say, yeah, no, you know, Anthos from a multi-cloud perspective, that that's not for you. Don't don't. Not don't sure what <laughs> anybody. I got everything into one cluster. Yeah. This is so it's, much easier than that complicated multi-cluster thing that we're supposed to do. Yeah. Right. But it, it, once you get into, you know, hundreds of 
clusters. Now, yeah. now you're cooking with something, right? I'm, I'm a Southern girl, right? My, my grandmother would say, now oh, you're bless cooking. You. Bless your heart. Right? Yeah. So, so now you're cooking with greens, right? You, you have something there and, and you're probably going to need some help managing it because all of your, your IT operators, your developers, everyone, even your security, right? Like obviously security is at the forefront of everyone's mind these days because of all of the ransomware and cyber oh, threats that are yeah. happening. But security is often this concept that's thought about last because we really just care about our applications. We really care about, you know, innovation. But I'd posit and say that security actually um, spurs innovation. And, and it's yeah. already natively built into our our entire application and the ecosystem of Anthos. So it's not something you have to think about, which is, again, like that bonus of that managed control plane. It's built in. So, so observability. Yeah, and you're, because yeah, the health, the whole, the ransomware thing just, I mean, it was already kind of out of control, but it wasn't necessarily as public as it's been lately. Because now it just feels like when it's when my dad calls me and he goes, are you working with anybody on this stuff? And I go, well, I know people that are, but no, not directly. Just, yeah, that's just better to just say, yeah, we're talking about it. Because um, first they came for my oil, then they came for my beef. And I said, that's it. <laughs> now I got to draw the line. But, um, uh, you know, fine, take my bank, take my car. But um, so Todd was making a point in our one of our pre-meetings about the notion of the importance of an established platform uh, to kind of, bridge off of. And Todd, I'll let you fill in any, how I'm not remembering that maybe correctly. But I always think about, this is where I want to go with this, and I'll Veronica maybe pick up right behind you. But it was this notion that um, if I'm looking, you know, everybody's probably already in the cloud to some degree, but if I'm looking at, you know, what applications I want to modernize first, you know, the riper uh, things, maybe I'm starting with something that's less critical, but easier because I don't have the legacy perhaps to be able to do it. But the idea of what, well, what platform, ignore the fact that Google's on the call for a second, you know, you go, well, what platform should I be maybe targeting first and why? Uh, is there a, re or should I even think of it like that? You think, Todd, should I, should I be thinking of a single platform to then build on yeah, from a, a base? Yeah, absolutely. And, it, and I think this kind of stems off of uh, how Google has developed Anthos from the get-go. Um, whenever Anthos was first launched, it was on a VMware virtualized platform uh, because they could hit the ground running, right? VMware yeah. was everywhere. Uh, launch it as an appliance on top of VMware. 90% of customers already had it in their data center. They didn't have to build the infrastructure, right? So they were like, hey, let's go with something that's tried and true. And lo and behold, Intel already has a really good partnership with VMware. We have great vSAN uh, cluster models and reference designs, what we call select solutions, Intel select solutions. Uh, so we're able to basically piggyback Anthos right on top of that existing solution. So it already has the great speeds, the feeds, all the latest hardware. Um, and like with ransomware and all these viruses and stuff, if you have new software, it's always best to partner it up with new hardware because there's all the hardware accelerators, the crypto accelerators, you know, we have new stuff in our, our latest Ice Lake platform, our third gen Xeon, that it's a big security focus, you know, encrypting memory. Um, so thinking of, you know, protecting your data in motion, at rest and in transit, right? So looking at those different models and obviously, you know, Intel, we kind of talk, you know, all, all geeky techie, right? But um, what we're truly trying to pay attention to is how important is this to the end user, right? So they're, they're gonna use this Google software, they're gonna put it on top of Intel hardware, WWT is gonna come and configure it and make it work, right? They're gonna build the house with the tools that we give them. Um, and so it's really important. So as we as we work with Google, we became uh, Anthos Ready Partner, and there's many other Anthos Ready Partners as well. And you can look at storage, networking, telco, there's a whole big gamut of Anthos 
uh, footprint, right? So depending yeah. on what types of workload or what type of usability you're after, uh, you can build those. And we help with those reference designs. Whenever Google launched um, Anthos for bare metal, uh, one of their testing designs was, hey, you can even do this on a little nook, right? The little, you know, four inch little PC. Wait, not the Intel Barnes makes. and Noble competitor, the and Kindle, not that we one. We were like, okay. No, not that. No, not no, 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 exactly. Okay. Not that one. But, <laughs> but we were like, well, hey, if, if we can test on this, why not design this to be deployed for edge based solutions? So now you can oh, take yeah, yeah. these nooks and put them out at a remote edge because not everybody has room for a data center or they might not have a comm closet, um, but it gives more capability and more capacity to run everywhere, right? Nobody wants to have that big hairdryer of a server sitting underneath their sales desk because you won't be able to talk to your customers. So you have these silent little boxes sitting there doing what they do. It's giving you all the features and capability that you need at that remote site. And you can feed all that data back into your data center. You can feed it back into GCP, run some big query stuff on there. So, I mean, there's, it's really, really, really flexible and customers are really happy to see that they have choice now yeah. um, you know they can go with the the standard virtualized type model or they can go to bare metal like they're used to with kubernetes you know ever since kubernetes was was started several years ago so it's been it's been a fun journey and it's and it's great to see how anthos is growing and providing more opportunity and choice for customers yeah, and I remember I used to refer people to Anthos as I was learning about it because I was like, if you have any inkling of how Kubernetes works, this is going to be your your path of least resistance for really expanding on that because it's obviously something that that Google is going to continue to uh, invest in, even though it's grown. Because I remember when, when Kubernetes became the de facto standard and we weren't sure exactly where things were going to go because the, the space is full of options <laughs> and it can be overwhelming because it's like speaking another language when I get, every time I get back into DevOps, I'm googling constantly uh for you know what all these these you know names are from different types of service meshes and and uh and, and coding styles but um ronica we need to wrap things up here but i wanted to just pivot off of he brought up innovation he nicely dropped BigQuery there again um but you guys have built we, we started off kind of toward the beginning talking about this notion of of being able to move in and out of a cloud that you've chosen, no matter who it is, and really thinking about that strategically from the beginning. But it, it does strike me that, that Google is not trying to pretend that other clouds don't exist. You guys have built this with the notion that, yes, this is a multi-cloud world. We're going to make this as smooth as possible for you to do what you need to do. I'll let you make the argument for that and put it in better words than I can, uh, and we'll, then I'll turn it over to David to tell us what we can do next. But, yeah, Ronica, wrap that up for us in terms of what's important to understand there. Yeah, I mean, so so there there's this, this concept of um, cloud everywhere, right? And, and you're right, like there's um, other cloud providers out there. It would be silly for us to ignore that. Um, in, in fact, the, the folks who are the Kubernetes experts, you know, the folks who cross the chasm very early, yeah. um, you know, come to us, right, you know, to, to take advantage of that innovation you mentioned, BigQuery, you know, Cloud SQL, Apigee, Looker, uh, for example. Um, and, and so, it, ironically, WWT, uh, as a premier partner, has helped a lot of those customers, Um who, who have come who are digital natives um, to, to take advantage of this platform in their at mod journey. And, and then simultaneously at the same time, you know, we, we typically only sometimes center on digital natives, but mm -hmm. we've seen 195 year old companies, you know, migrating not in just into containers uh, in, in Kubernetes, but to end those, right? They see the wow. value in it that's helping to accelerate innovation. Um, 
you know, we had a, a company who said, hey, we need to see where our cargo is at all times in the middle of our country where there is no Wi-Fi. We needed to we need to be able to extend the cloud out there. Right. So how do how do we take advantage and do that? Meanwhile, back home on the home front, they may be working uh, already in another cloud, running some workloads there that for whatever, whatever reason they decided to run those workloads. But maybe the other cloud provider doesn't provide uh, a lot of the innovation and the benefits that we extend to this customer in the middle of nowhere uh, so yeah. that they can see where their cargo is. Or, you know, we have you know other customers who said, hey, we need to uh, be able to deliver services to our customers um, wh wherever they are to increase their fan experience. So, you know, Anthos is, you know, truly powering innovation, even, I mean, in the pandemic, if we just think about where we are now, lots of companies were closed. And so they had to pivot to their customer facing mobile apps or their internet platforms became the face of their business. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and thankfully, you know, with partners like WWT helping to accelerate that innovation, customers were able to quickly pivot and, and now they didn't have to worry about, okay, how are we, you know, still delivering that value added service so they're not leaving and going somewhere else. We're not getting left behind you know, in this digital yeah. transformation. So, yeah, it's interesting. The, the companies that, that seem to have done the most, of course, you know, other than just physical ways in which you interface, if that's for a restaurant or something, you know, there's a limited set of things you can do. But those companies that had thought about their digital approach and had already been doing something to a degree, were in a much better position to be flexible. It feels like during that time, I think it was an article I was reading yesterday where the you know, official estimates are that, you know, we've, and I know as a group, we've all felt it, but that customers from a digital perspective have accelerated as much as five years ahead in time because of all the reaction and, and the, the way in which a lot of us had to throw out the manual for a moment and just say, we got to get work done. You know, we're to screw process for a moment. Now that everybody's turned back around and, and we're, we're back ending in the processes, but there's been a big jump where people have just been buckle up. We're going to, we're just going to get after this, do what we can to survive. And a lot of people have some surprisingly good stories have come out of that uh, in terms of what people are able to accomplish with when you go suddenly you remove those kind of blinders that say, well, we can only do things this way after this committee approves it. But look, um, but good stuff. And look what FinTech is oh doing to us right yeah. now. Right? So that type of yeah. innovation is forcing us to think differently. So. Yeah, I'm holding on to my GameStop. I know it's going to come. I know there's there's big big stuff in there for me. Um, uh, that and my Dogecoin, uh, David. So uh, I had in my notes. You guys always have a number of different things going on. I always try to mention the labs uh, because the labs are what were the, where I first came into contact with you guys working a long time ago. I think it was 2016. Um, but you've been around almost as long as Todd's been alive. Um, the uh, in terms of the labs, just making fun of the fact he's been at Intel for so long, uh, but yet he looks like a pup. Um, you guys do a migration readiness workshop to help customers kind of come in and ask those broad questions of how do I how do I begin uh, narrowing this problem down to something more manageable? Absolutely, we actually have uh, three different types of workshops that all kind of focus on the, on the same topic, but from different angles. Right, there was the cloud readiness workshop is the one that we uh, is really the broadest really looking at your organization, see where you're at, and kind of helping develop a roadmap to get to cloud. You know, the name kind of says it all, the readiness, right? Uh, we have a, uh, what we were calling as a, a hybrid readiness uh, uh, workshop, which is, that term's kind of falling out of disuse. It's more of a multi-cloud re re uh, readiness workshop. So that could be either one, okay. Yeah, and, and then again, it's it's more focused towards, all right, we're, 
you have your private cloud, how are you going to extend that out to the to the uh, to the rest of the world, so to speak, right? And then of course our, our our Google Foundation one, which is much more focused on Google and you know understanding uh, the, the the guardrails required, how set up the organizations, because Google's organizations is different than other ones. You know to understand that structure and to implement best practices from the get go, so that you can let your developers go, but still have those guidelines in in front of it. And um, I think those are the three top ones. And if yeah. we have time, I really want to get back to the concept of data grabbing because it really gets into the cloud. Strategy. We don't, but you have to now. So um, but tell me yeah, though. Absolutely. Yeah, because I, it was my fault for not coming back to you. I promised you I stiff armed yeah. you and then I didn't never did it. But so yeah, it, let's end with this one. What's the importance to understand about data gravity? It, it's all about the, the strategy. It's about putting the right okay. workplace work, workload in the right workplace, right? And data, as you mass more, there is a gravity around it. It's it stays where it is, and it's very expensive to move data out of oh, one cloud point. into another, right? Not just the egress charges that everybody has, but the sheer size of it, right? Yeah. So it goes into portability into Kubernetes. The, the the solution, in my mind, uh, to data gravity is not moving your data to your workloads. It's moving your workloads to your data. Right? Oh, so okay. you know, by having portable workplaces and portable workloads. And they can move that up. and that has to be part of that strategy right if you don't design your your workloads to be portable you're kind of sol yeah yeah you, they're going to be wherever they last were <laughs> yeah exactly all right so if your data is somewhere out where you're having trouble getting your cloud uh then that certainly can be addressed we want to make those things match up but i like that so get your workloads to your data in response to this notion, this naturally occurring physical event called data gravity, which is, I, I understand exactly what you're saying now that you, with, with that explanation. Well, guys and gals, this is awesome. Uh, one thing I love about worldwide technology, and it's always exhibited here, I think, is just the focus on education. So uh, not necessarily buying new tools or, uh, you know, seeing how many engineers we can put on a payroll or something like that. Uh, this is all about how do we get smarter and do things uh, ideally right the first time before we before we get too far down that path. And I think we've provided some value in that respect here. So David, thank you. Ronica, thank you. Todd, thank you. Intel and Google, of course, and the company you represent for sponsoring today's Worldwide uh, Technologies Tech 37. My name is Rob Boyd. To all of our guests watching, appreciate your time as well. Do hope you'll continue to join us, wwt.com. You can join the platform, and that way you can stay notified of this and many other events that Worldwide's doing, physical, virtual. Uh, just make sure you got your hat screwed on straight and, uh, and ready to go as we move forward in this increasingly dynamic world. Well, ladies and gentlemen, please enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you for joining us. Y'all take care. Thanks, Rob.